This is an RNZ podcast. Kia ora and welcome to the Kim Hill Collection. Serious chats with comedians can be a bit incongruous sometimes because they're not just a laugh and a romp, you know, but they do give you a great insight into just how clever and deep these people often are. This interview is with Bill Bailey, the British comedian, writer, actor, musician. He talked to Kim in 2023 about his forthcoming book, but the heart of this interview is really in his layers, in his depth and thoughtfulness. Really enjoyed this one, and hope you do too. Bill Bailey has been described as Britain's biggest alternative act. An Edinburgh fringe curiosity who has somehow become a national treasure via a whole heap of things, black books, wildlife programmes, musicianship, never mind the buzzcocks, and, of course, stand-up comedy. Last time we spoke, it was largely about his book Bill Bailey's Remarkable Guide to Happiness. He's returning to New Zealand in November with a new show called Thoughtifier. It's a big one, 14 shows. I caught up with him on his Australian leg. Well, you know what the, what do you call it? What was it called? Oh, yeah, the pandemic. That's oh. what's um, kind of tipped out my whole schedule, really. It's changed It's changed my life in a way because, uh, and also it, it pertains specifically to New Zealand because normally what happens is um, I come over and I tour around Australia and New Zealand in one huge tour. And then, of course, the pandemic intervened. And in 2021, when in the UK we were still in lockdown and Australia was still uh, you know, not available to tour in, um, I was able to tour in New Zealand in early 2021. And so what that did was it sort of threw out the whole my, my kind of cycle to the point that now that's that's a permanent change. And so... What that means is now I tour New Zealand exclusively. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> yes. So there you go. Ah, the endless <laughs> tour. Now I thought you were actually going to say that COVID had you battened down so much that now it's sort of over in terms of getting out and about. You bust out and you're just touring mm. and touring and touring, which you do love, do you? <clears throat> do you love it? Yeah, I do love it. Yes. Um, and I think that it's yeah, it's it's something which I mean, you uh, would say that, right? You're not going to say no. I hate touring. And I'll no, be glad it's like all it. over. But why do uh, you love it? I would just like to run a little pie shop somewhere. No, no, I actually, <laughs> I love it because it's, <clears throat> I get to see places, but I always, because I love working, I like to work as well. I don't like to, I don't, I'm not much of a tourist. I like to go somewhere to do something, to have purpose. And that's what touring sort of provides me with. Because you can go somewhere and see a place and you go, oh, that's nice, and see the sights and go back like a car, go with a plane, go away. Or you can go somewhere, which I do, and then you, you entertain people. You, you talk to people. You work there. You, you, you sort of get to know a place. And you get the, um, you know what a, how a place ticks and what makes people laugh and is it the same as other places and what, well, you know, this. And something might happen along the way, which then folds itself into the tour. So, yeah, you know, that's why I kind of like it. I um, mean, you're quite a chatty uh, bloke, right? I mean, some of your colleagues, uh, one of them, I'm not mentioning any names, might have been here quite recently, slightly less gregarious than yourself, possibly didn't have such <laughs> a good time. But you, you're just out and about. 
Well, the thing is, yes, that's right. And uh, I can't possibly, I couldn't possibly comment on who you might be alluding to. But yes, um, I like to be out and about. I like to go places and do things. You know, when we're on tour, um, me and the crew will go off, do something, go paddleboarding, we'll go surfing, we'll go mountain biking, we we'll go skydiving, we'll do something. We'll, we'll go bushwalking. That's what, you know, it's, I want to get the most out of every minute of every day. Because Lord knows how many of them are left. Oh, you're making me sad now because of Sean Locke, who died two years ago, was a very good friend of yours, and you've been walking yes. in his honour yeah. and raising money for cancer causes. Yeah. It's not that you, you were doing that before Sean died, actually, did you not? Yeah, we did. We did. Um, I organised two uh, long-distance walks, both raising money for cancer charities. Um, that was uh, for in memory of my mum. Um, and then uh, in uh, well a few years ago, um, uh, yeah, it was when when Sean died, uh, twenty twenty one. So we were supposed to die. We were supposed to walk with Sean um, in twenty twenty, but uh, of course the pandemic intervened. We were supposed to do it the next year, but um, sadly Sean died that summer. So um, last year we we organised a, a, a distance walk in his memory, and it was. Uh, it was sad, and it was also a um, uh, kind of it was a lovely way to you know talk about him and remember him because his family came, friends came. We just walked and we told stories about him as we walked. Yeah, and, walking and talking. Know. We'll talk more of that walking and talking in a minute. But I was just wondering in your in your happiness book, you talked about mm. the importance of being there for another person, and I wondered whether. Uh, what you were thinking about at that point was Sean, because he must have been ill at the time. Yeah. Yeah, very much so, yeah. I mean, uh, um, you know, it, I mean, when someone very close to you is 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 uh, going through that and living with such a, a diagnosis and, you know, you don't quite know what, how it will pan out, um, it does make you think, actually. It does certainly made me consider my own mortality. And um, in a way, that's it, it, isn't, it seems an unlikely sort of spur to consider what makes you happy. But maybe it's not. Maybe it's it, it makes brings those things into sharper relief because you focus then on what's important and you try to sift out the things that aren't. And you then perhaps focus on the things that make you happy because happiness of course is is elusive it can be slippery mercurial how do we pin it down i think a lot of the time people don't quite know what it is you have to define it first before you can seek it out you've never and, uh, lived life at half mast though have you i mean are you finding yourself no. doing things that you wouldn't have done you know three years ago four years ago Perhaps, yes. I mean, I, I throw myself into anything, any situation. I like to immerse myself in you it. You always I mean, have, though, right? Know, I always have, yes. Um, but perhaps more so in the last few years. Uh, I think maybe that's it. You know, you, you, you sometimes get these, you know, little moments where you, you think, you know, time is, is precious. Time is, is not infinite, we have a, a limited time on this earth. What? You what know, do you like say? The... Now you break the news to me. No. <laughs> the snickering footman, you know, <laughs> the T.S. Eliot in the waistband. 
He's there. He's waiting for you. Oh. Yesterday, but yesterday I had, I had the most life-affirming moment. I swam with a whale shark, which was the most extraordinary thing. And I'm still on a kind of bit of a high, I've got to say. Um, it was just a beautiful moment. I'm not entirely sure what a whale shark is. Is it more of a whale than a shark? It's a shark. It's the biggest fish in the ocean, oh. but it's a gentle giant. It's a filter feeder, wow. so not, not a bitey thing. How Although big? we just got out, oh, I mean, like six metres or something. So <sighs> big, you know, so it's 20-odd foot long. They can be, I think can be huge. I mean, this was a, this was a small one. But uh, just as we got out of the water, somebody said, oh, there's a, there's a five-metre great hammerhead in the shark, a bitey, a proper bitey one. And I went, oh, <laughs> I'm fine. I'm good. <laughs> I was already having my hummus and carrot batons by that point. Wow. And is it always there, this whale shark, for swimming with, or did you just happen upon it? Well, it's, um, it's, I'm in Exmouth in northwestern Australia. So I'm up near the Ningaloo Reef. And uh, this is one of the places where they like to congregate for food. So um, it seemed appropriate that I should get in and swim with one. And uh, I did. And it was quite marvellous. I saw humpback whales, saw sea snakes, manta rays turtles i mean it's just like a it's thick with them it's a, you have to it's a, the sea is just teeming with life teeming with life as is your garden actually have you still got loads of animals yeah yeah we still we, we're trying to sort of you know pare it down a bit obviously what have um, you got <laughs> we've got various things um rescue birds and we've got a couple of um some we had some ducks some chickens uh, a few rescue parrots um we had a rescue armadillo uh, and then we had a, a male and a female and we just had a baby just bred a baby three-banded armadillo which is i'm extraordinarily chuffed with where did you get an armadillo <laughs> from well these things they they're sort of in captivity and sometimes they're you mean people keep them the, as a pet People know in, in zoos and private collections oh. and then for whatever reason they can't look after them. And then so or it may be that animals are being trafficked. And so because we are a halfway house, we're like a foster home for, you know, animals. We said, well, we have we got room to look after it. So we looked after it for a bit and then we got a female and then we've just been looking after them for the last year. And then they, But specifically, they in, where did the this armadillo, where did the armadillo come from? It came from um, a, it was a, a private collection in the UK, so they couldn't look after it anymore because they were, I don't know, people, these things happen, they close, there's uh, financial sort of situations change, you know, people, they, they feel that the things close, somebody, what happens tragically is usually what happens is someone dies, there's a kind of couple uh, that run these things, and then someone dies, and then the, the other partner thinks, oh, it's all too much, I can't look after them. And so all the animals or either, you know, they, they're sort of, they're there. They've been they've been habituated to captivity. You can't release them, uh, sadly. So what do you do? You know, so we offer them a home. And did somebody ring you up and say, yeah, I've got an armadillo for yeah. you? It's a quite a small, in, you know, it's a community. <laughs> everyone knows everyone. The Baileys will take it, they'll say. You can probably answer me this question that my grandson asked it the other day, and we just made it up. What noise do armadillos make? What noise do they make? Yes. They they make a sort of a kind of low grunting. Yes, you must know. 
We'll do it. And Like that. Yeah, that's like pretty sort of, good. Because that's what I approximated. I feel quite proud of myself. That was yeah. the noise I imagined armadillos yeah. might make. Yes, a low grunt. Very good. Not a high pitch. I don't know. I've never heard that. But they do, they're quite active. I mean, at night, when I'm working in my studio, they're next to me. And I can hear them banging on the wall. <laughs> are they nocturnal or are they just busy? Yeah, busy. Ah. And do they bite? No. No, they're very, very, very tame. They're cute. They've lived with us for a while now, and uh, they're very, very... Um, they, they don't mind being around us, but we tend to leave them alone. You know, we don't, we don't try to handle them too much. We just let them get on with their lives Range and through. make sure they're comfortable. Very yeah. Good. Um, your latest project, as far as I know, you've got a lot of things going on. It's mm. something called Perfect Pub Walks. Yeah. Well, it's not really. That was a kind of... Do you know what happened? That was a... a, a <laughs> we were filming around Britain, and, um, of course, the general public, being so uh, diligent as they are with their cameras, spotted me, and um, uh, then they people sort of pre present this story to the tabloids. And so the... The tabloids are about to sort of launch this whole story because they offer money for people. Have you seen a celebrity out and about? Just phone us up and we'll give you a few hundred quid. So that's what they did. And so then, then we've the, the, then everyone has to go into a panic mode. Like, oh, well, we better produce a title for this show, which is yet yeah, untitled. And so that's it. But it's not really about pub walks. It's about walking. It's a walking show. And the pub is just a kind of a thing to hang it on. What it's about is about the nature of walking, as we were talking before, about mm -hmm. the nature of it, how it how it can it sort of elicits conversations that you perhaps you know didn't expect. It it frees people up to talk in a in a way that's not quite so um, shall we say intense. If you're sitting across a table looking at someone eye to eye, it's difficult sometimes to to break that spell. But if you're walking side by side with someone, you're walking somewhere, you're stopping, you're admiring the view, conversations tend to flow in a, in a, in a, in a way that's, that's uh, slightly freer and, and it takes you into unexpected territory. And so uh, as it proved to be with all the walks that I went on, people were talking about all sorts of things and they found themselves like, I don't know, I'm going to talk about this. I never really had this conversation, but I'm glad that I did. Who did you but go on walks with? It. I went on walks with my old friend Alan Davis, no. who's an actor and comedian. Um, I went on. I went on a walk with Sean Ryder from the Happy Mondays, right. a rock star, proper bona fide rock star. Never done anything like this. I went with Paul Merton, who's a famous, you know comedian and improviser, and, and of course broadcasting legend Sir Trevor Macdonald. Uh -huh who is the first British journalist to interview Mandela when he came out of prison. So quite an interesting bunch. And, the, the, a few years ago, the BBC did a very similar concept series, did it not, called Mortimer and White House, Gone Fishing? Yes, that's right, Gone Fishing, that's right. And it's very much in that sort of, in that vein, really. Um, two blokes, uh, perhaps of a certain vintage, uh, going off and talking about all sorts of things, some of it funny, some of it serious. And um, and it really sort of, it, it does very much uh, line up with my own 
theories on this that it that actually the the act of, of walking is with someone it does kind of you form a bond a companionship and then you sort of feel you're able to talk about anything and i think it's it's a, a much underrated activity and the idea is that men tend not to talk about the important stuff with their mates mental mm, health physical right. health yeah domestic yeah. issues Exactly, exactly right. And it has that kind of way of, you know, like a, for example, you know, Sean Ryder, who's a, you know, who's, I don't know if you know anything about him. He's, um, he was a pop star with the band The Happy Mondays at the sort of at the, the peak of the kind of Manchester, Manchester rave scene. And they had, you know, number one albums sold out stadiums around the world. And, you know, and he has very openly talked about his drug problems and uh, um and only you know recently discovered that he had he was diagnosed with adhd and so he was sort of realized that that has affected his life in such a huge way and he talked very candidly about it and we had a you know a great conversation and he sort of and it's interesting you know he kind of then I, he texted me and said oh that was great i loved that you know it was one of the best things i've, I've done in years you know and i just think that's a testament to this Perhaps, I don't know, I mean, people talk to me, I suppose. <laughs> people like chatting to me. That's what yeah. it is. No, well, I'm sure that's true, but why do you think that it's so hard to get me? I've been reading Catelyn Moran's latest book. Yes. What about men? Have you read about that? About men? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I read a bit about that, yes. I read her, her um, you know, she sort of put out a kind of tweet or something on social media and was inundated with responses from men who, mm. yeah. And I suppose it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a good thing. It's now is a good time to, to talk about those she things. Says, you know, and I'm going to be, I'm going to be talking to her in a week or two, but what she says is mm. never being able to cry or admit vulnerability, mm. the bubbling anger, the shrugging acceptance of violence, the memory of hitting friends, the prizing of recklessness, the need for alcohol and drugs, the total lack of advice or guidance. This is mm. the symptoms of men being punished or screwed over by the patriarchy as much as women have been. This is her argument. What do you make of that? Mm. Well, I mean, I, 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 I like... Uh, Catelyn's writing very much. I, I've always admired it and have told her so whenever I've had the opportunity. And uh, and I think that she is, yes, she's very perceptive, I think, in this regard. I mean, I think that, you know, um, without sounding it's <laughs> the problem with men that they feel that by talking about this, it's like, well, people are going to go, oh, look, come on, you know, you're a, you've had a good run. Toughen up, princess. You know, and that's what happens, and yeah. that's and that's and yet, with society demands men to be sensitive as well. <laughs> so you know what? What? So many young men are thinking, well, what am I supposed to be? Who am I supposed to be? Am I supposed to be, you know, tough? Am I supposed to be sensitive? Am I supposed? To, what? What? Who am I? What am I? Um, I think then that's, but it doesn't stop. It does not exclusively the the preserve of young men, teenage men. You know those men who, those boys who who kind of listen to Andrew Tate and others, and you know it gives them some kind of validation for their sort of 
their feelings of the inadequacy or whatever, of isolation or proponents, you know, all of those, the, the proponency for violence or abuse or whatever, that, you know, it's, it, it carries on, you know, men in later life, you know, and, and men who have gone through all sorts of things and trauma and stuff in their lives, you know, have, have had to kind of put a lid on it in a way that perhaps... I would suggest, you know, in the most general terms, women don't. Women are much better at talking about things. Women are better at uh, empathising with other women. Yeah, and is that is that a, is that is is that a skill that is inherent in? I mean, we're generalising, right? But inherent in women, mm. or or is it socialisation? I think. So. I think well, it's a it's a bit of both. I think. I mean, I think that generally, you know, women <clears throat> find that. They, they they're able to talk easier about their emotions. I think that's the thing. They're able to express what they feel, particularly to other men, uh, to other women. I mean, a and, lot of um, blokes, a lot of blokes become irritable with being pressed on that. You know, the whole "what are you yeah. thinking?" and 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 yeah. is it fair to say why can't a man be more like a woman? Is that fair? I think that's fair. Yes, exactly. I mean, you know, you say that about thinking. I used to tell the whole bit of my act about that, you know. But when 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 my wife says to me, "What are you thinking? What are you thinking?" Yeah. and like because and and I would say we've got to a point of our relationship where we don't say that anymore because we're very honest with each other. And you know, the danger would be if she said, "What are you thinking?" I would say, "Really? You really want to know what I'm thinking?" You know, I'm thinking about a panini I had in 1992. You know, you don't want to know really, really what I'm thinking. If you really want to know what I'm thinking, I'm thinking if I had a really long bendy neck, could I look under the fridge? You know, that's the kind of mad stuff that's going on in my head. So you really don't know what it, you, you be, you know, beware of what you wish for. Right. But no, I take your point. I take your point. I think that's it. I mean, I think that it's it's um, it's kind of a. I mean, I talked about this a long time ago, and it's sort of it's just rumbled on. The masculinity is a, is a is a sort of strange and elusive thing. What is it? Is it? It's it's not exclusively physical strength and impermeability. It's something else. It's it's a bit more pliant. You know, being a man is a bit more. There's a bit more to it than that. There's a nurturing element to it. There's a kind of sensitive element to it, and those sort of things sometimes get lost in the whole the kind of stereotypical look at the way we live our lives you have um taken yourself off twitter i understand no i just uh, i i kind of i can't be bothered with it anymore <laughs> I, i've just sort of i kind of post the odd thing but it's just become since it's since like, the, it's nasty know, it's toxic and since, evil well since old elon has taken over again it, it, it it's 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 you know become very a, a toxic it's a it's a vituperative swamp of of unpleasantness and uh and it's a shame because it, there was some good things about it but i just I, I can't be doing with it now to be honest do you think that that's something to do with elon musk or is it something to do with just the nature of the social media platform which is twitter well, no, I mean, I think that there's generally, I think there's a bit, a bit of both again. I mean, but I think the fact he allowed back onto Twitter all of these banned accounts that had been banned with good reason, then that sort of, you know, it poisons the well of, of 
public discourse because you know there was times when it had a kind of it had a, it had its moments you know there were, certainly in terms of places where people are facing repression or places people are facing a a, a a kind of some kind of chokehold on their freedom of speech twitter is a way of of allowing that to kind of bypass state intervention so you know it had a sort of that feel to it, it had a kind of civic um power not just endless shouting <laughs> about trivia, you know? Like now. Like it is now, yeah. Yeah. Um, although it could be very funny, but I don't think it's funny anymore either, is it? No, I think that's it. It used to be What's a place gonna where you could have a bit it? of fun. What's going to replace it? I mean, is it something that something else is going to come along and fill the void? I don't know. I think maybe people... Do you know what? I was just been in Albany, down in the south part of Australia, southwestern part of Western Australia, and uh, I, I I sang with um, the shanty men. There's a bunch of blokes, and they all they sing sea shanties in pubs, and um, <laughs> and uh, honestly, I think singing. My I, I'm hope my my avowed hope is that people start join choirs <laughs> and go and sing in pubs, Radio. and find that's the way forward. Yeah. Not just saying, you know, like. Uh, um, you know, two hundred forty characters of of um, bile. Um, in advance of your tour, which is called Fortify, you'd better give me a quick preview of the themes you will be exploring. Mm. I think so. I mean, I mean, it's partly it was a, it was a kind of a um, my reaction to the to all this lots many many articles I've read about the this fear of you know ai and and how we are sort of under threat humanity's you know existential threat jobs going 500 million jobs in europe possibly oh, 300 million was it that uh, it was 200 million between friends lots of jobs gone um fakeness we don't know who's talking to us we don't know could they take over in all of this and so it's a kind of um, there's lots of been lots of very quite, and it's a great, I think, a rich seam for comedy because it does it does pose the question: Well, are, can can comedy just be manufactured from robots? Can they are robots able to understand humanity? And of course, my argument is that the fact that are we are flawed, we're flawed, we are contradictory, cussed, hairless, clumsy, sometimes brilliant beings that could not possibly be replicated and that's what i'm celebrating the sort of the humanity and all its sort of flawed glory do you play golf once or twice yeah well, <laughs> once or twice didn't take no i was just thinking where does one draw the line on human enhancing gadgets i did not realize until somebody told me yesterday that is quite common practice to have some laser thing on the golf course that tells you how far away the hole is so that you can choose the yes. right stick. Yes. You know, is, there, is this true? And if it is, then it's a it terrible, terrible thing, don't you think? It is true. Um, but then, honestly, the amount of times I play golf, no laser is going to make me any better. I don't think a laser is really going to help. You know, honestly, 
I mean, people have been playing golf before lasers very, very successfully. So uh, it's one of those gadgets which seems like it might be useful, but I think in the ultimate, it's, it's just if you start relying on it, then and your laser packs up, then what? Yeah, well, exactly. I thought you'd be more concerned exactly. about then this. You- but you think it's a bit like no. an air fryer that people are losing, I think it's it? one of those. Yeah, oh. exactly. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I don't, I, I don't think so. I just, I don't, unless you get a, you know, you get a robot arm that can actually hit the ball. Ah, well, where do you draw the line? Talking. Where do you draw the line? Well, exactly. Back to my question. You I, know, it's a slippery slope. Back, I think just go, just don't play golf. <laughs> That's the solution. It's a, it's a silly thing, you know. Um, yeah, take up singing. It's much better you, for you. All right. Some, yes, all right. Uh, we'll talk about that another time. Some people can sing, some people can't. <laughs> Don't be part of that irritating crew that claims that everybody can sing because it's not true. It's not true. It is, is it? true. No, it is true. No. Everyone sings. You sing in the, in the shower, you sing at home when nobody can You sing away, everyone does. Yes. Bill Bailey coming here in November. He wasn't, by the way, talking about the hairy advark, which does apparently scream.